0: Have he saved it? The final? Oh. Shizhenko! It's on. not a mission to go alone. This is sensational! World Cup!
1: Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs. Thank you so much for taking the time out to download us. Of course, if you haven't listened to The Last Word on Spurs before and where have you been, we are of course on iTunes, we're on Audio Boom. we're on Spotify, we're on all major audio applications. You can find us on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs. We're also on Facebook and Instagram too. And we are back, fresh off the deadline day, to provide you with a summer transfer window review We've had the pleasure this summer of being joined by Sky Sports' very own Lyle Thomas. We've had Michael Bridge on the show. We had Fabrizio Romano halfway through. And now closing, closing shut the transfer window, we're absolutely delighted to welcome big, big journalist, massive Spurs fan and author of the White Hart Lane, the Spurs glory Is, the wonderful Martin Lipton joins us on the show. Martin, how are you? I'm extremely well and rather looking forward to the
2: next eight months or so.
1: When have you been able to say that as a Spurs fan, Martin?
2: It's a rare and beautiful thing. I don't want it to end. <laughs> Let's keep going. Let's I know, be, right? It's not refer back too many times to the past. Let's look forward into a bright and noble future.
1: I love it. You know, it's funny, Martin. When we last had you on, I think last time, obviously we were discussing, I think, Pochettino being let go, Mourinho's arrival, and that transfer window at the time. And I just remember thinking, you know, we have always a bit uncertain when we talked to you. It's so nice being able to talk to you in a place where at this moment, I don't want to speak too long because I don't want to put the knockers on it, Everything seems to be falling into place. I know it's very, very early on. I know we can't get carried away, but we've got so much to ask you about. So we're delighted to have you here. And also joining me, last word on Spurs, his very own transfer guru. We've got the wonderful Jamie from the Daily Hotspur on the show. Jamie, how are you?
3: Good, thank you, Ricky. And um, yeah, what a summer it's been for Spurs. You know, some, some fantastic additions. Um, I think it certainly surpassed any of our expectations of, of what we were going to do this summer. So, um yeah, really looking forward to kind of reviewing it all on this show.
1: Martin, I'm going to start with you because um, I have to ask you this question firstly before we get into the transfers. This is from Nick Shahee, who says, what happened at half time during that Southampton game? Because ever since then, we have been unbeatable. I know we're going to come on and talk about transfers, but the full, Martin. And I know you said, I think on another show, that, that Ndombele turn against Southampton. Is that the turning point in our season? It
2: feels like it might have been a change of mindset in the whole squad, in truth, because that first 40 minutes against Southampton, even obviously despite scoring the goal that was disallowing, they had a negative effect on them, they weren't at the races, and then suddenly they score that goal, which was really good play by Ndombele, players, you know, struggled to make a real impact for the last 14-15 months, and everything seemed to change, and... It was almost as if they looked at each other in the dressing room and thought, you know what, let's just do what we're good at. Let's not worry about what isn't working. Let's go out and play because we've got so much pace. We've got so much quality. We can hurt anybody and we've got big things coming in terms of a left back and and one of the greatest players British football has ever produced to come into the team. Let's just go and show it. Let's go and play. And suddenly that confidence flowed. And you saw that even in the Newcastle game, which they didn't win. On another day, they win back by six as well. It wasn't a fluke. You know, if you look at the performances with the first team out, they have been looking like a proper f- football team for the last three or four weeks or three or four games, which is fantastic to see.
3: Just to bring it on the transfer window now, I mean, it was absolutely crazy. As I said, I think none of us were quite expecting it to be as good as it was for Spurs um, but it'd be interesting to get your take on on kind of what you thought of, of made of Spurs' business this summer obviously we brought in six new players so what what was kind of your feeling on on how Spurs have done this summer in the transfer window
2: it grows incrementally over the period to start when you you wonder what's going to happen it's all about who's going to leave you was your initial thought who is he going to get rid of and i thought that rose would definitely go i suspected that someone in the midfield might go, probably in Dombele. in truth. Um, and I thought that he might, he might even consider bumping Mora out of the, the squad. And I thought there, might have to, there had to be a change in goal, uh, in terms of the goalkeepers, because we'd lost Vaughan. I thought Aurier also was toast. People at the club were telling me in you know, May, June, when he was being an idiot, that they just wanted him out of the club. And I assumed that that would be the policy. And then you, you see the initial signings. Um, Hoiberg, who gives them a bit of definition, clearly, and he was he was a, a defensive signing, but to sit in front of the back four, we thought at the time, but, you know, did, did a job, and they were very quick out of the blocks with him. Then Doherty, who, again, we know they were interested in, we needed a right back. That was crystal clear, obvious signing to make. Then Hart comes in as your third goalkeeper. And you think, well, oh, well, yeah, OK. Five out of ten, six out of ten, you know, but... Where's the dynamism? Where's the the something different? Where, how are they going to be any better? And when the season starts as poorly as it did against um, Everton, I think those concerns would have been shared by everyone. They were just not at the races. From they were awful. Let's be honest. It was a terrible performance. Arguably, they could have got away with it if they take one of those chances in the first half. They might have won the game. But they Everton deserved to win. They were better. Then everything has changed. And. Once you realised there was a chance of bail coming, and it was serious, the mood altered. Once they landed it, and you knew three or four days out it was done, the the sense of "hang on, this is serious, this is real" came came on board. Then you get also at the same time the left back, who's a road runner, flying machine. Everything we didn't have and haven't had for a long time. And then to, you know, the crowning glory was the, the, the second striker that we've been desperately seeking. Now, whether or not Benithias is the answer, we'll find out. But the other signings so far are all done pretty well. And I think you've got to say that the recruitment has been absolutely outstanding so far.
1: Martin, as I mentioned to you off-air, we've got a load of listener questions, you know, over 40 listener questions. That's how popular you are when you come on this show. I'm going to try and rattle through a few of them, and you can kind of give us your responses on these. Um, we've got Cameron Yale Jr. who says, are you surprised during this COVID period that Spurs did such a good job of addressing the problems and areas in making the signs that they did? Michael Belair says, the most joined-up window I've ever seen. Winners, mental toughness, leaders, Jose's generals all over the pitch – I totally bought into the Enoch and Poch Stadium project of the last decade, and I'm totally sold on this next phase, and I can't wait. What has instigated this policy shift? Would you make of those questions, Martin? Well, I think maybe it comes down to a little bit of panic
2: in terms of a recognition that unless there was significant and, and serious structural change, all the gains of the last five years were in danger of being fitted away. Uh, I think looking back, Daniel Levy would probably agree that he should have been more brutal. I think a lot of it was down to Pochettino being a bit too soft with the players, not wanting to make changes. I'm not entirely sold on the idea that Pochettino wanted Ndombele last summer, looking back. We'll never know. Um, some of the signings he seemed to be getting against his will almost, even though the club thought they needed to make some, make some signings. He was happy to work with what he had and build players into players. Mourinho is happy to make players into better players, but he actually wants them to be players first. And yes, he'll want a couple of young youngsters. He always wants two or three dressing room lieutenants who tell the rest of the dressing room how good he is. Every manager does that. But he has spoken and clearly talked to, to Levy and the two of them have got their heads together and they've agreed what was required. So that has been a clear, concerted policy. Now, it may have been that they didn't expect Bale to be available, but they were always aware that if Bale was available, his first choice would be coming back to Tottenham. That you know, the relationship that Daniel's got with um, Jonathan Barnett, Bale's agent, is a, is a long-standing, strong one. You know, the, the agents that we know Spurs deal with: are Leon Angel, Jonathan Barnett, and now because of Mourinho, there's George Mendes. So the majority of the players are going to come from those three agents. That's no terrible thing because they're through the big, big agents who've got a lot of players. So we shouldn't be unhappy at that. But there appears for the first time in a while to be a a clear, concise, certain policy that's then been enacted. Because there's been policy in the past that they've not quite been able to turn into reality. And there have been good signings that have come out of nowhere. But this time, the whole thing has been organic. It's been thought through. It's been
1: plotted. And that's why it looks like a really good window, because it hasn't come about by accident. It's funny you say that, mine. I mean, again, this is another question here from Mo Mighty Problems. It says, how fun was it deadline day yesterday knowing that we'd all done the necessary business early, didn't need to panic? I'm sure we're going to bring on to the centre-back later on in terms of Milan-Squiniar and get your reaction to Spurs not getting that one over the line. But just one question, Martin. You mentioned him a bit earlier. Um, Cindy Jones says, do you think Levy offered Pochettino players in previous transfer windows but he didn't want them because he likes a small squad and therefore Levy took the flak. Now, I mean, I know on good authority that he was offered players during that 18-month period or, you know, the two consecutive windows that he didn't want to sign. Can you put your kind of now to the mask in terms of just trying to give us some background in terms of whether Pochettino was offered players during that period and you look at Jose now, is Jose just more open to players coming in? I think that
2: Maurizio really believed that he could take what he had and, and make that something special. And he was worried about bringing players in that might upset the the dressing room and the the, the unit that he built. The trouble was that that unit frayed uh, and where uh, Danny Rose, for example, at one point, Pochettino liked the fact that he caused Rucks in the dressing room and called it on. But after a while, that became a, a destabiliser. It was too much for the rest of the players to deal with. Other players got old, Uh, you know, Dembele wasn't replaced, Wanyama wasn't replaced. I mean, Wanyama was in the squad forever, never kicking the ball. What was that all about? Pochettino must have realised there was no player left. He was a shell of the player he'd been three years ago. Um, So you have to say that the manager at the end of the day was the one who didn't make the changes that he could have made. Uh, And this manager has never been scared of signing a player. He's not worried about the price of a player because he would always want to get the best he can get. And he as I said he likes fully formed players who he can improve. I always felt with Maurizio what he wanted to do was create players from nothing. And to be fair, he did that. Look at what happened with Trippier. Look, you know, look at what happened with Rose, who to be honest, no one fancied five years ago when he was out on loan at yeah. Sunderland and such places. Carl Walker when he was on loan at at QPR and Villa and, you know, struggled to make an impact and was, according to Harry Redknapp, we now, we, you know, was terrified of playing for England in case he was blamed for mistakes. Eric Dyer came in with no real reputation from from Portugal, from Sporting Lisbon and, of course, Harry Kane, uh, Deli Ali for, you know, £5 million from uh, MK Doms. All of these players, and some that didn't quite make it, the likes of of Andres Townsend, who moved on, and um, and Ryan Mason, who moved on, uh, Tom Carroll, another one who injured her, um, and the boy who's now at Huddersfield, uh, the winger who went to Norwich. Again, they were projects for um, Pochettino. He loved to do that. Mourinho hasn't got time for that. Mourinho wants to win. He wants to win now. He knows that everything is a short-term shelf life, that if you last three years at a club, it's a long time. So there's no point in building for five years down the line if you're thinking that I'm only going to last three or four.
3: Bring it on to the players that we managed to get through the door now, I think the first one was Pierre-Emil Højbjerg from Southampton. And, and for me, that really set the tone of kind of what Spurs were looking for this summer. You see that he was captain of Southampton. He, of course, had uh, a great reputation um, from, from Pep Guardiola from his time at Bayern Munich. Uh, now, obviously, we were first kind of linked with him in January um, and there was obviously the deal was kind of discussed then. And then, of course, in the summer, we really took advantage of his contract situation at Southampton. Um, and I feel as though we've landed ourselves a really great deal. I mean, I think effectively we, we signed him for about three million pounds plus Carl Walker Peters. So what what did you make of that signing? Because I feel as though that really does feel, feel a really good a, a spot that Spurs really needed in the squad in terms of a holding midfielder.
2: There's a natural balance in the team now. We saw that particularly on, on Sunday where he's able to play as the holding midfielder or drop into a three. Um, he's able to step in when he needs to. The pass for the Aurier goal was excellent. You know, and it's a terrific ball, but he's got that combative quality that he wants to get in and win the ball. He doesn't care what he takes to win. It. He breaks up play. So, I mean, he, he was clearly a bit leggy in the opening couple of games. He was poor against uh, Everton, as they all were. Uh, you watch him now and you think, this is a football player. And um, he has grown into the team. As, as the confidence has seeped through the team, it's come into him as well. And you can see that flowing through him. But I think what he, he does do straight away is give a far better definition to the side. Whichever formation they play, he is the cornerstone of that team now. Uh, and he knows exactly what he has to do. He knows exactly what's expected of him by the manager. He doesn't have to try and do anything else. But if he does what he's asked to do, everything else works. He's the sort the, of the gear that keeps the engine turning over. And you need to have that. You need to have someone who can,
1: who can keep the whole thing running. He is that, that central force to the team. A question we've got on him here, Martin, comes from James at JamesDF5. He says, I thought this when he signed, and I'm thinking this even more now. Is Pierre-Emir, ending in an E, not an ER, Rick, winking face, Hoybier going to be the best signing of the summer window? I think his presence and ability will transform us more than any other player other than Kane's newfound role. Do you know what I absolutely love, Martin, before you answer that question, is I don't know if you saw that moment where one of our players went in for a challenge. I think it was Aurea, and... Hojbjerg, at that point, was still applauding him. I mean, he absolutely loves a change, doesn't he? Loves it. Yeah, he, and it's that sort of thing. He's got that. He, he
2: is a, a feisty little so-and-so, and that's exactly what you need in there. Too many nice guys in that team at, at times, I always felt, in recent years. Since Dembele had left, we've had no-one who could take a game by the scruff of the neck and just dominate the critical areas. How many times were we exposed because we had no cover in front of the back four and no pace. Last season, that game against Leipzig, when how we were nil-nil at half-time, I do not know, because we could have been five or six down. Absolutely destroyed all over the park, because there was no shape in the team. Players weren't able to do what they were supposed to be doing, and it was a mess. And now, suddenly, you've got someone yeah. who can actually fill that void.
3: I think he's a brilliant, brilliant signing for Spurs, and has said, I really feel as though it set the tone and, and then of course that brought us on to seven days later we brought an, another guy through the door who I felt also added to the mentality of the dressing room and uh, it definitely split opinions uh, amongst the fan base and that of course that signing was Joe Hart um, we obviously got him in a free transfer from Burnley um, but Martin it would be interesting to get your kind of take on and do you feel as though that was a good signing for Spurs and is that kind of what Spurs were looking to do this summer, looking to bring in players that were going to change the mentality uh, in that dressing room. You've got to remember that um has always
2: liked old goalkeepers because uh, he likes he likes that he likes the feel, and a lot of a lot of managers do actually. That old goalkeepers don't worry about mistakes because they know that they make mistakes. The best goalkeepers make a save for next time. They don't worry about the mistake they've made before. My fear with Hart when he was England manager at City was that he got too worked up before every game. He was so angry before he walked onto the pitch that he actually, by doing so, he made the mistakes more likely to happen. But a lot has happened since he left Man City. A lot has happened since he lost his role with England. And he's probably just grown up. He's become a 30-something mature goalkeeper, which therefore means he's calmer. And also, he's working with Hugo Lloris, who knows he's going to give away three goals every season, but doesn't worry about it. Because his view is, I might give away three, I'll save 15. I love it. Yeah, true. And that's the key. So you've now got, you know, last year we had uh, Lloris, Gazaniga, and Vaughan. Vorm, who was there to make up the numbers and really shouldn't have been, but he was really cheap. Gazaniga, who showed last season when he was in the first team that he's at best a number two. He's not a first-team goalkeeper for a big club. And Ha has come in knowing he's number two, but knowing he's going to play domestic cups and he'll probably be playing quite a few of the Europa games as well. And he's going to play the odd first-team game because the will get injured or suspended or whatever. And when he comes in, he won't be nervous and he won't give off nervous vibes to the defenders because he knows now. He knows it's he's also he knows he's part of a team that's suddenly got a good unit in front of him. So whilst it may have looked from the outside an odd decision, it did make a great deal of sense, given what we know also, as I said, about Mourinho liking experienced goalkeepers who've been through the the block, who've made their mistakes and learnt to deal with issues, learning how to process the facts of football, that it can kick you in the backside sometimes and there's nothing you can do about it. The only way you can deal with it is to get on and move on for the next occasion rather than dwelling on the one that's just gone past.
1: Martin, we've got another question in here on Joe Hart this time. This is from Mr Mourinho, Flag of Portugal, who says... Chaps, as a former trainee myself, who also played as a goalkeeper and coached goalkeepers at a professional level, do you see and agree that Joe Hart could eventually overtake Hugo Lloris for that number one spot? I mean, I don't personally see that. Um, I see Hugo always being our number one. What's your take on that, Martin? Hugo
2: Lloris is Spurs goalkeeper until he leaves the club. Joe Hart will not be Tottenham's first-choice goalkeeper, I don't think, um, unless something unusual happens. Uh, But that's not to dismiss Joe Hart at all. He's been brought in as the competent, experienced, intelligent, dressing room presence and number two. That's his role in the club. And those roles are as important as the starting players. They really are. You You need characters in the dressing room, often who don't play or play little, but who are there all the time. In training, all the time, saying the right things, seeing which players need the the manager to go and have a word with them, that's what experience brings. And Hart will see if 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 Tanganga is looking nervy in training, Hart will notice it probably before anybody else apart from Luis, and he'll be able to say to the man- to the manager, "Gaffer, look, you need to have a word because of this or whatever." That's what you get from him. That's his value. It isn't to be, I don't believe, a challenge for the first choice goalkeeper. We're talking about the captain and the captain of the World Cup holders. He's not going to give up his place too easily. He's got two years left in him, I think, at Spurs, before he'll decide after nearly 10 years, it'll be by then, that it's time to move on. But what a great servant he's been.
3: 100% agree with that. I mean, yeah, Joe Hart looks like he's definitely brought that sort of right mentality to the club. And yeah, a good sign of Spurs. Now, The third one, of course, was Matt Doherty from Wolves. And um, I thought it was a very interesting one, actually, because obviously we landed him for about £13.5 million plus add-ons, which for a player who played almost in excess of 50 games for a very solid Wolves side, that seemed like a very good fee. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to get your take on that as well. Um, But, yeah, I I just think that Matt Doherty was obviously a very... I think he feels like a very good signing. He seems to be pushing Oria on as well. But, I mean... For you, Martin. I mean, is that how good a signing do you think Matt Doherty is?
2: I think what we saw on Sunday is the reason they bought Doherty, even though Doherty didn't play. Because at Wolves he played wing back in a three. And that was the formation effectively on on Sunday. And even though it was Aureo who played there, the shape allows whoever plays on the right side the freedom to play it as an attacking wing-back, who then gets back when needs to. That is Doherty's strength, we know, from his performances for Wolves and uh, uh, and the Republic of Ireland. He, you know, he, he made all those assists for Wolves because he was able to fly forward in the formation with confidence. Now, again, he was leggy at the start of the season, hasn't actually put in the level of performance yet for Spurs, of which he's capable, I don't think, but that's good because he knows he can do it. Um, he's experience in the Premier League, he knows exactly what he needs to do, he knows what's required of him again, Um, and that is to make the pitch really big, really wide, he's got, he'll always be out there, because also, if your wing-backs push on wide and high, the attacking wide players can tuck in, can cause problems elsewhere, they don't have to stick wide, you've got the natural width. And of course, the defenders have got to make a decision then. Either if, the, if the strikers and midfielders don't go back, you've got a spare man. And even if they do, everyone has to move around to accomplish the fact that the, 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 the base is being filled up. So he fits the, the, that game plan extremely well. And of course, the other thing is clearly, for the first time in a while, Aurier's got a challenger and he wants to stay in the team. So every chance he gets, oh, yeah, he's going to play better because he knows he has to play well. Now, I think that between them, the two of them are going to start not too dissimilar a number of games. If, if Spurs play, I suspect they will 50 games this season, maybe even more, probably 60, actually, they'll play, you know, 35, 25 if it's 60 games. There'll be a lot of football. And as we saw over the last few days, you can swap one for the other. And you don't change the way the team plays on the right. You do change the way the team plays if it's Reguilon or um, Ben Davis playing on the left. But on the right, the team, the shape, the formation, the way you play doesn't alter depending on which
1: one of them plays. Spot on. Now, Martin, then came the double deal from Madrid 20 days later. And as we know, Mourinho, from a perspective here, let me just say... We know Daniel Levy had always wanted to appoint Jose Mourinho as the Spurs manager, head coach, whatever title you want to give him, and always dreamt of bringing Gareth Bale back to Tottenham. And we know for his part, Daniel Levy, he was a big driver in this move of bringing Gareth Bale back. And you know, it was very, very clear that Gareth had plenty of interest across Europe, across you know the continent as well. And it was a polite no given to those other clubs. He wanted to come back to Tottenham. If you can, can you explain to us the incredible negotiations that took place to get Spurs, Gareth Bale, back at our football club. Try and explain that, if you can, to us, Martin, what Spurs went through to bring this guy home. Well, there's a a few things here. First
2: of all, there is an ongoing relationship with Real Madrid, uh, which has always been a one-way street, in fact, up to now. It's always been in Real Madrid's favour. This was payback time. Um, But also, as I said earlier, Jonathan Barnett and Daniel are pretty close. They've known each other for a very long time. They've worked together. Um, and when Gareth left way back in 2013, even though Spurs didn't want him to go, they also recognised, and that was Daniel and Donna Cullen and Vias barras and everyone was involved with the club. They all recognised that they couldn't stop him doing this. They couldn't prevent him making that move. It wouldn't, wasn't fair on Gareth Bale to prevent him. But if you look, even then, up until 2018, I think, it may have been 2019, Spurs had first refusal on him. So if any other Premier League club had a deal with Real Madrid, the contract says that Spurs were entitled to match him. So it. So, which wouldn't have happened if Bale wasn't happy with that deal, be that clause being in the contract. So, you know straight away that you were, when... when It's become absolutely abundantly clear that he's never going to kick a ball again for Zinedine Zidane, And he's also desperate to be at his best for Wales next summer in the European Championship because it's really important. And as we know, you know, Wales, Golf, Madrid, or maybe it should be Tottenham, Wales, Golf, we'll find out.
3: (laughs) I love that. Um,
2: Then it becomes real, a possibility. Then Daniel picks up the phone to Jonathan and says... Come on then, what's the score? And Jonathan, for the first time in six, seven years, if you talked to him, was saying, I wouldn't discount it. Therefore, something's happening. You knew something was going on. And Gareth was, from what I gather, sold quite, once he realised that Spurs were serious about it, really wanted him, Mourinho was there. They had still good players let's be fair and they were looking to improve he was he his position was yeah come on then let's do it let's let's go back let's go and play because he needs to play and he wants to play for in the in the Premier League again it made sense for him and if he wanted to go to Manchester United he'd done so in the past Ryan Giggs was desperate to get him in at United when he was at Spurs like he was on Wales duty always, every time he was told by Fergie, try and persuade him to come. Because Fergie recognised how good he was, let's be honest, he's a brilliant player. And he always said, no, he didn't want to go. He wants to play. He, The only club he wanted to play for was Spurs and Real Madrid. Well, he's done that. Real Madrid don't want him. But you've still got to come up with the money. You've got to find a way to meet the deal. So you've got to go to Madrid and you play hardball with Madrid, which is where Daniel does his best. So he's gone to Madrid and said, look, this fella, I mean, you know, we'll take him off your hands, but... We can't afford that. And you don't want him earning 700 grand and not playing for you and causing problems and having rucks with the dressing room. And, you know, so what sort of deal can can you do? Because, you know, we're the ones who are helping you out here, boys, because we're taking him off. And he's a smart cookie. And he ended up with a deal which, you know, one year plus a one-year option. Spurs pay him. About the same as Harry Kane, I think you can live with that. There's sure I'm sure there'll be extra elements of image rights and everything else, and start you know, signing on fees. All that's fine, that's part of the game. But you get one of the world's great players, one of British football's greatest ever players, back at the club because he wants to be there. If he didn't want to be there, he wouldn't be there. Because he could have gone anywhere. And if it was just for money, he could have gone anywhere. He wanted to come back and play for Tottenham Hotspur. And Daniel took advantage of that and pushed it through and held for the first time Real Madrid's arm against their back rather than the other way around, as it often is. And he then gets a fullback as well. So double bubble, really. But it was a really, really good bit of business.
1: Martin, thank you ever so much for all that so far. We've got to go for a very quick break. When we return, we discuss Sergio Reguilon, the other part in that double deal of Spurs getting him over the line. We discuss Tottenham Hotspur finally, finally nailing themselves a second striker. We discuss the players that leave the club this summer, the players that we missed out on, and of course, all of your listener questions to come. So much to come. Do not go anywhere. We are back after this very, very short break
3: Powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. Hello and
1: welcome back to the second half of The Last Word on Spurs. A summer transfer window review. Listen, we've been packed over the summer. We brought you Sky Sports' very own Lyle Thomas. You had Michael Bridge. We've given you Fabrizio Romano. We're closing the summer transfer window firmly on The Last Word on Spurs with the wonderful Martin Lipton Massive, massive Spurs fan, huge sports journalist, covers a lot and very, very close to the football club. So we're absolutely delighted to have Martin on the show. Let's switch back over to our transfer guru, Jamie from the Daily Hotspur, who's going to be asking Martin about the other player in that double deal, Sergio Reguilon.
3: Yeah, um, and obviously with with Reguilon, I feel as though it was, he did... um, very much get overshadowed by of course Gareth Bale and I think very unfairly because I think in his own right it was obviously a very exciting signing I think we've already seen in the few matches that he's played for Spurs what an exciting player he is of course he's very attacking he's offered something different to Ben Davis now of course you know he had a fantastic year with Sevilla last year um, in terms of the Europa League and La Liga um, so of course there was always going to be lots of interest when he headed back to to Real Madrid and of course you know, it didn't seem as though he was favoured by Zinedine Zidane. So, Martin, it'd be interesting to get your take on, on how Spurs managed to kind of see off the competition to land regular on this summer.
2: I think the key was that they were willing to give Madrid what they wanted in terms of the buyback clause. Uh, and certain people were moaning about that and complaining and questioning. it. And I just thought, well, it's a it's, it's no-vona because even if they exercise the buyback clause... The price of the buyback pays off his wages for two years, so you basically get the player for free. So you, fight, you can't, you don't lose any money. And if he stays, as long as he's as good as you think he is, you're going to make. He's going to be worth even more because player values are going to are going to rise appreciably once we get past the the whole COVID crisis. And what he gives is instantly left flank dynamism, which we haven't had since. In truth, Danny Rose got injured at Sunderland three and a half years ago. Because he I don't think Danny Rose ever recovered from that injury in February of 17, 18, whenever it was. I think it was 17. And we've never had that thrust down the left since. And suddenly it's there, and he is quick as quick can be. And you can see already that he wants to dovetail with with Son. That he's a he allows the, as I said he stretches the pitch hugely. He's going to push defenses back all through last season, particularly when we were having that terrible run before shutdown, the main reason was because we we didn't scare anyone. We had no striker and we had no pace and people could afford to to go at us in numbers because we had nothing to stop them and we had nothing to hurt them with. And suddenly, you've got people who can hurt them all over the pitch, including the left-back, who's going to run and run and run, can carry the ball, can run in behind, can cross the ball... With either foot, as we saw for the the Chelsea goal, with his right foot as well. And there is an extra dimension to the team, which he brings,
1: and that's fantastic. Now, Martin, on to finally nailing a striker. I can't believe I'm saying that. Still still feels very weird that Spurs have finally got another striker over the line. We've been so much used to playing with just Harry Kane. We've actually got got ourselves another striker. Now, from reports that we've seen, Martin, Spurs made inquiries for a whole host of front men during the summer transfer window. They spoke to clubs or intermediaries from Southampton for Danny Ings, Torino's Andrea Bellotti. We had Metz's Habab Diallo, Salzburg's Patson Daka, Benfica's Harris Serelovich. They also Considered the homegrown players, the likes of Callum Wilson, Ollie Watkins, but the man they finally went with was Carlos Vinicius. Now he's coming off the back of a breakthrough season in his career as joint top scorer in the Liga NOS, bagging 24 goals and 13 assists, snapped up for a quite incredible amount of just 2.7 million, with an option to sign him permanently for 38.2 million if the move worked out. Martin, I have to ask you again how was Daniel Levy? engineered this deal and have we got ourselves that second striker that we've craved and that is not going to be a Brazilian Vincent Janssen?
2: Well, the first thought must be that Portuguese football is struggling because you wouldn't imagine a player of that ability uh, and goal record being let go so cheaply if there wasn't an issue in Portuguese football. And George Mendes and Jose Mourinho would know that intimately So that helped. Steve Hitchin would have worked very hard to get that deal over the line. That helped. Um, And you also have to find a player who's willing to take the gamble to come as second choice. Because that's not easy. When you go to Tottenham, to the club where Harry Kane is playing up front, you know your role is not going to be first choice striker. And there's a lot of people with ego who don't want to go to a club unless they're going to be first choice. Or believe they can be first choice. The truth is, there isn't anyone, I don't think, maybe you could argue Le- Lewandowski, but I think it's too much of a toss-up toss of, of a coin to argue it, who can tell you that they would be better than Harry Kane up front. But it's hard to put your head, it'd be vain enough to say, actually, now I'm going to go and be the second striker and play the odd game and not be first choice and not be the dominant leader of the line. It needs a special sort of player, either one who's got... Great ability, good mo- modesty in character, or isn't quite good enough. Now, it's hoping it's not the third, because we'll find that out. Jansen was happy to be second striker because he wasn't quite good enough. We we discovered, uh, and others they've looked at in the past. So, I think Ings would have been excellent. I think he's playing really well for Southampton. He's a really, you know, and, and if he hadn't been injured a few years ago, we'd have seen this before. We're now seeing what Danny Ings would have been had it not been for the injury. Uh, and you remember that Spurs were involved in a little bit in his deal when he went to um, to I think when went to Liverpool in the first place. They uh, they put in a fake bid, didn't they? Oh, it's been alleged that bumped up his price, so Liverpool had to pay over the odds for him. Uh, we'll never know whether that's true or not, but it's been it's been mentioned, um, and. The others, yeah, Wilson's done OK at, uh, at at Newcastle. I think Watkins is a better player than, than Wilson. I look very impressed with him on Sunday, I have to say. But he was that would have been a bit of a gamble from someone coming straight in from the Championship. And maybe it's the sort of player you buy after he's proven himself for a year in the Premier League before you look to buy him, because you see more of what he's about. They, did, they needed somebody. They've gone out and got someone. The stats, the record... I mean, you don't want to buy on videos, but the videos show that there's a player there. The fact that he isn't just a, uh, a goal scorer, but he, he you know, creates as well, is really positive. We just need to see whether he can attune himself to the much faster, more physical league in which he's joining now, because Premier League is different. when I was talking to Avram Grant uh, yesterday about party at Arsenal, because I've known Avon for a long time, and we're just chatting generally, and he was saying that it doesn't matter where you, where you come from, Once you come into England, you have to play with English mentality and English intensity because if you don't, you'll completely fall away. You won't be noticed. So Vinicius has got to have that in him. But Mourinho would have known all about him, as will Mendes. So they'd have done a proper job on him. They'll know a bit about his character. They'll know a bit about his talents and abilities. And they'll try and make him better too.
3: Yeah, now, of course, it wasn't all success for Spurs this summer. Of course, it looked as though Spurs were looking for one more. um, And that was a central defender. And I think for me, that really would have been kind of the the cherry on the cake if we'd have managed to land that central defender. Now, we were very strongly linked with Inter Milan's uh, Milan's Scrinia. Of course, we saw pictures over in Italy of of, um, uh, Steve Hitchin over there trying to negotiate a deal um, and of course, unfortunately, in the end, it didn't quite materialise. Um, it looked as though we did have backup in terms of Juventus's Um, um Now, of course, it, you, know, you, you look at the reports, it's seeming as though Spurs were willing to offer around £32 million and Inter Milan were demanding around £45 million. So, that, unfortunately, that wasn't a deal that Spurs could get done in the end. Now, Martin, it'd be interesting to know uh, your take on whether Spurs might try for him again, in January, is that that something you think might happen?
2: I I wouldn't discount it, it would depend on other things. The one thing you've got to remember is that no one gets every present on their Christmas list. You know, you can't expect to get everything, it doesn't work like that. Uh, They tried really hard for him, they wanted that rugged leader of the line, unquestionably, because there's obviously doubts about uh, Sanchez and Dyer and Alderweireld for different reasons and Tanganga, we're still not quite sure how he develops. Of course, if you play with the back three, which appears to be the, the the plan now in certain games at least, it's less important because you've got an extra uh, line of, of resistance, as it were, an extra body to fill the void. So it's not, and it can pick up the pieces as well if the ball drops. So it's not quite the same as just playing with the back four where your center half has got to win everything or you're in trouble. Now, I think that perhaps had they signed um, Skriniar, that, that might have been a different way of playing. And, They haven't got that, they'll have to deal with it. If it doesn't work with a three over a long period, then maybe they go back again, because Inter might want to sell. We know that they're looking at um, the boy at Swansea as well, who again, you know, tall, elegant, but physical, you know, it's thinking of finding a way of, of working out where you want to be. In January, they've got two weeks or 10 days to sort out if they want to get him in, they'll have a look. By January, if he's not good enough, at least they'll know if they get him in. I wouldn't discount them going back, I have to say. I think there's a real shout that there's an interest that's been lodged there. The player knows it. He'll be aware. And if Spurs continue to play particularly well and are in the top two or three in the Premier League and sail through the Europa League group, as I expect they will and could well be in the... Uh, hopefully will be in the uh, Carling Cup semi- Carabao Cup semi-finals by January, if not actually in the final already then the appeal for Skriniar is all the greater as well, isn't it?
1: Now, Martin, we've had loads of questions on Skriniar, as you can imagine. Um, I'm just going to give a shout-out to Stuart M, who asked the question, will Skriniar possibly look to go back... Well, can Spurs sign Skriniar in January? And you've kind of answered that one already. Um, we've got another one in here now, Martin. You know Spurs fans. So we go from one degree to another. Pessimistic, optimistic. He says here, this is from Stephen Hyde, who says, do you think not coughing up the Skriniar fee in the summer, has just cost Tottenham the 20-21 to 21 Premier League title. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think, look, if they're good enough, they'll win it. I do think the, the league will be won yeah. with fewer points. Mm. Do you think we need a centre-back, though, Martin, on that point? I look at it... I mean, I only go back to the weekend. I've got to ask you this question because I look at Sanchez... There's a mistake in him, as we know. We saw it at the weekend. Dyer for me, wants to be a centre-back. I'm not quite sure if he's good enough to be a centre-back. And it does seem to be he's Mourinho's man. I then look at, you know, Alderweirel. For me, he's lost a yard of pace as well. Does the centre-back situation alarm you at all? Do you think we've got enough to kind of muck in until January, possibly?
2: Look, we'll find out. That run of games when we play Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal in the space of a week and a half will probably give us far more... Of an understanding and clue over that than, than anything else. Um, but the shape and the change of formation helps, as I said, to, to balance out the weakness, if there is one there. Um, Alderweire won't play every game, clearly. He's going to play every other game. Dyer's the one who will play most games because he seems to have more faith in him than, than anybody else, probably because he can speak Portuguese and as silly as that, he can be. He's, a, he, he's told Dyer "You're my man." He wants him. And whilst Dyer isn't the answer to everything, he's pretty solid. Let's be honest, and he's a good, good character as well. You know that. You can see that the way he reacted to his brother last season. That's something about the boy that he he cares about people. You, he may have gone the wrong way about it, but you can understand where it came from. So the other players really like him because they recognise a decent character in the team and that's a lot of it is that you know you not every player in every in a club team can be 11 out of 10 in fact most most teams are happy with 11 8 out of 10s well Spurs have got 9s and 10s and the odd 11
3: and the the rest of 8s well I can live with that just earlier you mentioned a name Joe Roden of course a very highly rated uh, young centre-back from Swansea City um, now, of course, that, that name suddenly cropped up on, on the final day of the window. Um, there was mention of him, the Swansea, wanting around £20 million for him. Um, now, of course, um, that the, the opportunity for him to be named in our Europa League squad if we were to sign him is gone. So that's obviously slightly disappointing. Um, but now, of course, with the EFL window lasting until the 16th of January, is Joe Roden a player that we might potentially see at Spurs um, this season? Clearly he is. They wouldn't
2: have gone down the line as fast as they did if they weren't interested in signing him. Uh, and they've got 10 more days or just under 10 days. I suspect that that's one they'll push on to try and get over the line. I mean, it's, it's not the hardest one you'll ever have to, to, to finish off and get done. So I, I suspect that they'll have that conversation. Also, there's a lot of pressure on Championship clubs to sell players now um, because Premier League clubs are reluctant to give them any money and so they're going to have to get money from other other in terms of a bailout. So that money is going to be come from from sales. And I think that Roden, like Bayrama at Brentford and a few others, will be sold to balance the books at a, a certain clubs. And that's why Spurs go and lowball with the initial figure, because Swansea need the dough. And they you know if you look back all those years to when they first signed Gareth Bale, same thing. Southampton were potless; they needed the dough. Spurs went in with a low ball offer and then they were able to pay pay, and they paid the balance ahead of time. So the actual total was less than they'd originally negotiated. Um, Sometimes you have to play hardball.
1: And as we know, Daniel likes playing hardball. We definitely know that, don't we? We definitely know that, Martin. Now, coming on to outgoings, Uh, before we go straight into them, we've got a question in here. And this is from Jordan Beck, who says, We know all about the incoming signings, but would you like to see more moved out or moved on, whether that's been on a loan or a permanent? And do you think Jose's complaint about having too big of a squad was addressed enough?
2: The players he doesn't want in the squad are the problem, not the ones, not having too many. So Rose, I don't believe Danny Rose will ever kick a ball for Tottenham again. They might as well pay him off because he's not going to play for Mourinho. The fight decision, he didn't fancy him. He Played him at Norwich, didn't he, at Christmas last year? And he froze, it was terrible, and he barely kicked the ball again. Um, I'm still not sure whether Jetson Fernandes can play or not, though he's quite decent against Chelsea to be fair to him. Thought he had a decent, good game in that first half. Um, the goalkeeper, it would make sense now to get rid of Gazaniga and have a third choice goalkeeper from the youth team, in truth, because it also it's about. Uh, homegrown player numbers and things like that for Europe and the, and the Premier League squad. We've got rid of a few when Yama's finally gone, I think, um, and others as well. Who else would you have got rid of? I said, I, I, it wouldn't have hurt me to see more go, but saying that he's actually played pretty well this season, um, which has been really positive. He's actually wanted to show for the ball. Maybe he realises he's got to actually justify his place in the squad. I know a lot of fans would have liked to see the Mella go, but I've always liked the fact that a fit the matter is an absolute pain in the backside. He works for hard, doesn't basically. he, Martin,
1: as well? How hard does he work?
2: Yeah, he's always done that. And, you know, there were games last season when we were awful unless he was on the pitch because he was the only one who could break the line in midfield. Um, I'm delighted to see Ndombele playing because I thought he was uh, going to prove one of the most monumentally unimpressive Tottenham signings of all time. And he's looking like a football player now, which is fantastic. Um, so who else do you lose there's not that many to get rid of in, in true you know Skip's gone out on loan which is for the better to get some game time um, there'll be others as well maybe Tanganga possibly ends up going out on loan uh, at Christmas to get some game time because that needs to be done for him I think he needs to play football he did well last year really well but he needs to be playing football
3: the names that we saw leave we of course saw Yamatong and Michelle Warm leave on free transfers we saw Carl Walker-Peters leave for Southampton and of course Foyt, Ryan Sessignon and Oliver Skip uh, all going out on loan. But in terms of outgoings and maybe players that either managed to get that move away or didn't manage to secure that move away from Spurs, were there any potential big surprises for you in terms of players, that in terms of outgoings? Were there any big surprises?
2: Not really, no. I think Sessignon needs football as well. And Hoffenheim's a good place for him. He'll get football. He'll play in the Bundesliga. He'll play in the Europa League. Excellent. He needs that. Because he, he didn't have any confidence last year at all, did he? So that was that was a good thing. I said, the rest of them, you could see them going, in truth. And I'm surprised that a couple more didn't go. Uh, because I don't see any future for, for Rose, as I said. But he's done too much money, I suspect. Look at the problems, you know, people trying to get rid of him, trying to get into you know, Newcastle last year. How difficult was that? This, you know, at the end of last summer, trying to, winter, trying to get into Watford on the last day. They've wanted him out of the club for so long. And he, he, won't, he won't go because he's done good money, which I don't blame him for because nobody... Held a gun to his head to make him sign the contract. Um, he was offered it, but yeah, I don't think there was. There's too many others that you're surprised about them staying or going. Really, I think it was a, It was the a, the natural churn of the of the squad.
1: One player, Martin, I do want to ask you about, and a player that was heavily linked with a move away from Tottenham, which never actually happened later in the window, was Delhi Alley. Now, I think if you told a Spurs fan a year ago that Delhi would be potentially leaving the club. I think at that point, there still would have been some real, real criticism of even Tottenham considering it. Now 12 months on, Delhi's form, it hasn't recaptured. And let's be honest about it. Delhi in those first cut of seasons, as you know more than anyone, he was incredible. Absolute superstar. Pochettino had him playing week in, week out. He was incredible. And this guy we're all thinking is going to take the Premier League by storm. And he did in those first cut of seasons. Since those first two We're not quite sure what's happened or what's gone wrong for Delhi. We then obviously see the Amazon documentary, which we were very lucky to have collaborated with Amazon on, and we saw Mourinho very much kind of try and get into the mind of Delhi. We see criticism of Delhi as well in that documentary. How close, Martin... Did Delhi come to leave in the football club? And can you give us any indication how he feels as a player? Is he happy at Tottenham? Bearing in mind, he was also linked as part of that move to Real Madrid. Can you give us an insight into the situation between Delhi and the football club?
2: Well, one thing I do know is that nobody at Spurs seriously considered even thinking about him leaving. That was not a consideration whatsoever from Daniel, the board or the manager. What they do expect is that he plays. Now there was a bit of frustration. I'm told that the media he was left out of the team at Southampton. Um, within half an hour, he was being touted for a move to PSG. That could only have been from his people, um, which is fair enough because it's their job to look after their client. And they, I think, they overreacted, or maybe even Delhi was just hacked off at not being. And he said, "I'll oh, get me out of here. God, I can't stand it." But instant reactions aren't things to judge people on because people say things they don't mean in the heat of the moment. He didn't look against um, Haifa or against Manchester United like a player who was unhappy to be at Tottenham. Did he? He came on, he was still doing his tricks, he was still doing his little bit of magic, he was smiling, he wanted to be on the pitch. Now that, for me, was a really positive sign. If, by Christmas... He's made four appearances, two of them off the bench, uh, has been left to kick his heels at home week after week after week. Things change. But I don't think that's the thought of Maria. I think he felt he feels short, sharp shot. I recall when he first came in at Chelsea, the way he treated Joe Cole. Joe Cole thought he was the bee's knees. Jose didn't think he had the right attitude. And he deliberately... Gave him a heart attack. He he played against Liverpool, scored the only goal, and he got slaughtered after the game for what he hadn't done. Not the goal he scored. It's what he hadn't done. Because Mourinho saw in him a player that he wanted to make into a better player and felt he had to do something with his mentality to make that work. Now, he tried the nicey-nicey stuff last season. We saw that. And the joking about being lazy. He didn't think that worked. So he's gone the other extreme, which is to play... To use the phrase, the bastard, the hardball, the nasty, to try and shock uh, Delhi Alley into being Delhi Alley. The issue now is whether Delhi Alley wants to be Delhi Alley again. And only he alone can answer that because the, the, Marino will give him the opportunity. He's got to decide whether he wants to take it. If he doesn't want to take it, he won't play in the team and he'll probably go in January.
1: What does your gut tell you, Martin, if I asked you to kind of put your neck on the line, will Delhi? still be a Spurs player this time next season? What do you reckon?
2: Yeah, I think so. He'll make this it, yeah? Be, you reckon he can make look it? by Christmas, but yeah, I think he will be. <laughs> I think he'll become an absolutely critical member of the squad over the next eight months. Back in the England
3: squad and go to the Euros and be a star. I mean, that's really interesting to hear, and I think that that's, you know, it seems totally spot on in terms of how he's changed his approach. I mean, you know, it's so frustrating with Delia because we know he's such a a talented player and obviously last year we saw with the documentary how he how you said he was you know he tried to be nice to him but hasn't worked so look another player that we kind of see him um really put uh, as we we've kind of described it before the Jose Mourinho test and a player that we've seen him do that with was of course the the club's record signing Tongyan and Dombele now he obviously had a very very frustrating year last year um however that situation has somehow evolved of course, there was talk at the start of the window of him potentially moving away. Um, but, you know, he's been like a new sign in Tongi and Dombele this year. Um, and I think it's just, you know, Jose Mourinho sounds so much more positive about him. You know, the comments that he's coming out with are fantastic. And hopefully we're going to see the proper Ndombele now because we saw against that in that win at Old Trafford how good he was. So do you think that now he's going to be in Dombele? Is he going to be an integral part of Jose Mourinho's teams going forward?
2: Well, it looks that way, doesn't it? And rightly so. He's fit, isn't he? He wasn't fit last season, clearly. Now, he blamed the club for not diagnosing his injury. Uh, the club blamed him for not telling him about his injury. And then there's obviously a standoff over his attitude, uh, his willingness to get hurt on the football pitch. Sometimes you've got to be willing to play when you're hurt, um, unfortunately, because it's a physical game. It takes its toll. He feels good about himself now. He wants to play. You can see he wants to play, and he's got back the manager's trust because everyone now in that pitch is willing to give him the ball in tight situations because they expect him to come away with possession because they think he's going to do the right thing, and that is eerily remind you know, listen to me of of what Dembele used to do at his very best, where you could give him the ball with four players around him, and now he come away with it, and Dombey wants to have wants to have the ball at his feet. He wants to commit defenders, midfielders, and whoever, because he's backing himself every time now. And there's that sense of 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 um, belief and positivity that's that's emanating from him. He has done a lot of it himself. He's had to because he's he had no future three months ago, five months ago. You know, threat. he barely kicked a ball in the in the post-lockdown period, did he? When he when we came back, he had he was he was on the pitch for a few minutes in nine games he had no future at the club and yet things have changed and that's down to him as much as anybody else but also he's obviously had his heart to heart with the manager and Mourinho said to him, "Look, this is what I want and if you can do it I want you in my team but if you can't do it I don't
1: want you in my squad and he's responded in the right way Sam Tompkins, Sam Tompkins actually Tompkins. on this point What's he says "When Dombele finally showing what he's made of faced with tears of joy could he finally be our replacement for Moutadon I think that's one we have to wait and see but Martin, there was frustration, as you mentioned earlier, in not being able to move Danny Rose on from the club. Now, as we understand it, he is not training with the first team. He does have eight months left of his contract. You said earlier that Spurs should simply just pay up his contract, let him go. Will he come back into the training setup or remain with the development team? What do you see happening, Martin, between now and January? Because um, something has to be resolved with Danny, doesn't it?
2: Well, if he's not in the squad, for 25, which I suspect he won't be, he might as well just pack up and go home. He can then claim just fourteen clause in January and get a free transfer. But they want him to go on a free transfer, and it's the same as Ozil at Arsenal. Club want rid of him, can't get rid of him. Uh, it happens in football. So the only solution is for him to just get paid to not be there, or to be paid off to not be there, because there's no point in him being there if he's not wanted. Uh, and at some point, he probably goes into leaving and says, "Right, come on." give me five five months' money or six months' money, and I'll walk away. And Spurs say, "Okay, here you go. Because I think that's the obvious thing to do. There's no point in having someone who's, for whatever reason, utterly disaffected hanging around, because that just causes issues within the dressing room. You don't need it. You don't want it. And also, they've got alternatives now. They've got a left-back, and they've got a second-choice left-back, who is, while he might not be... The greatest football player in the history of mankind, Ben Davis, utterly reliable, totally dedicated, a proper professional who just does his job. Never moans, just gets on with it. What you don't want is someone moaning, particularly in a root room, in a dressing room where Mourinho doesn't really like conflict in his dressing room. He likes strong characters and he likes occasional. Issues and he wants people in dressing room who can be the north and south pole of the dressing room and bang heads together when when need be. He doesn't want someone who's constantly causing lucks.
3: Another player that obviously I'm I'm sure Spurs will be slightly disappointed that they didn't manage to get out the door was Paulo Gazzaniga. Now, of course, with Joe Hart coming in, he's seemingly dropped to third choice now. Um, And he just doesn't seem to be getting many opportunities at the moment. Of course, you know, I saw on deadline he was made available by the club for transfer but that never happens. So is he a player that you think Jose Amina might try to reintegrate into the squad or is he a, a guy that we might see frozen out of Spurs?
2: Well, look, if there's an injury, he becomes second choice. So he's, you know, they're not, I don't think he's anti-Gazaniga at all. I think it's just, he wants a number two who's experienced. Would you really want to be a number three goalkeeper at any club? Unless you know you're there just to be the bloke who makes up the numbers in training. If, and it, you know, he's been in the Argentinian squad in the last 12 months, it makes no sense for him to be third choice goalkeeper at his club. Uh, in the same way that uh, Romero at uh, Manchester United is third choice goalkeeper for his club. The two of them, they're the, they're, you know, in the top three goalkeepers in Argentina, they're third, both third choice for their club. So therefore, but Gazzaniga is going to want to be playing football. You can't blame him. So I wouldn't be at all shocked if he ends up going out on loan just to play football for the next three months in the championship. because he need, Or goes to Portugal where dead, like, their window, I think, is still open. Because um, he needs to play for his own good, in truth. And that's not being negative about him. He needs to play football.
1: Now, to our players that need to play football and not trying to be too negative, Martin, that brings us very kindly on to Jetson Fernandes. Now, we know with Tottenham having too many non-locally trained players in the Europa League squad, the Argentine Paulo Gazzaniga and Jetson Fernandes are likely to be two that are left out by Mourinho of the group stages of the Europa League. For Jetson in particular, I mean, that will present a problem to him when it comes to game time because he has struggled at the moment to define a role under Jose Mourinho. Now, having played as a right-back and he's also played in a various of midfield positions without much success. Does Jetson have much of a Spurs future in your mind? And could we actually see that his move is terminated and him go back to Benfica?
2: It's very hard to tell because we've not seen enough of him to know whether he can fit in or not. I mean, physical attributes are clear. He's tall. He's uh, He's got good mobility. he um, looks as like though he's got a, a football vein on his head as well, which is good to see. Um, but we haven't seen enough of him. to to make a proper judgment. So Mourinho knows more than us. Remember, he is still extremely young. And it may well be that you only see what he is when he gets 18 months older, because he learns to develop, he learns to feel more confident in his environment. Um, And I I thought he did okay the other week, you know, when he came on. He He played quite well. It's hard to see what his role is in the team at the moment. He's only ever going to be a squad player, at best, as it stands. Um, but I think he probably knew that when he arrived. He, he came here to to England in January thinking it was, you know, two years to really find the feet. So unless, unless he's got, had a change of mind and doesn't want that, doesn't want the development, it shouldn't be a problem for him. He might be frustrated not playing if he's left out the Europa League squad. But of course, it may be that he's in the Europa League squad because if you look at that squad and you're Jose Mourinho... You think you're going to go through the group anyhow? You don't need to. You can actually leave Mora or Bergwine out and play and have Jetson in the squad to ensure that he gets the game time because you know that Mora and Bergwijn are going to get plenty of football on a on a weekend.
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm very excited for this squad now. And of course, you know, we've discussed the maybe some a few disappointments in terms of outgoings and maybe. That obviously, that centre back was a slight disappointment, but overall, you've got to say it was an absolutely fantastic window. And as I said earlier, you know, I think it was far beyond what any of us were expecting Spurs to do. So obviously, now we're in, you know, we're in multiple competitions. We're of course in the quarter-finals of the League Cup. Um, We're into the group stages of of the Europa League, and you know, we're looking very good in the Premier League. So, Martin, it'd be interesting to get kind of your take on, on what you think Spurs can achieve this season under Jose Mourinho. Well, you, when you see everybody
2: else, uh, that's always a good sign. You know, this time last year, you were thinking, crikey, Liverpool are good. City are really good. We're a bit ordinary. Um, Chelsea looks like they're going to, how are we going to get in the top four? Do you, you know, and it was all from very early on in the season, it was like, it's going to take something from here. At this point, you look at Liverpool and think, I just sit. can see seven. City have just conceded five. We've just smashed United for six. Chelsea have got goals in them going forward, but aren't great defensively. Arsenal, conversely, have got a good striker and a good defence. Have they got much creativity? I'm not so sure. And and you're trying to find reasons for Spurs not being in the top four, and it's quite difficult if they play like they can with the way they're playing at the moment, with Bale to come in to argue that they won't be in the top four. It's, you know, they look like at least a top four side. I think 88 points rather than 98 wins the league, which is very different. That's 28 wins, isn't it? You know, and um, that's a lot fewer points than has been the case recently to win the title. You know, we came second in and with 87 back in, in 2017. So if you can get it right, there's a real chance of going, going pretty close. I don't I wouldn't be saying now that Spurs are favourites to win the title because they're not, because Liverpool and City are favourites to win the title, clearly and rightly. Um, but you do feel that Spurs are contenders again, which they weren't last season, and probably really weren't, and after Christmas, certainly weren't the previous season. They were well up to after Christmas and then fell away quite markedly. Um, so there's a real shout there. You think, well, look. Stoke away, you should win that. That's in the semi-finals. What if you get Brentford or win it at Brentford v Newcastle? Can you imagine? You're in Newcastle. the final then.
1: <laughs> you know, let's be honest. Do we You're get, get this f- draw though, Martin, if Mourinho's not our manager? I just feel like, you know, certain things like that. Do we get Stoke in the cup if Mourinho's not our manager? I don't
2: care. I'm, within, I'm, I'm happy for any circumstance. I allow, know. You know, I know, it's and, incredible. They they should win the group in the Europa League pulling hand springs without even yeah. trying and one, one arm tied behind their back because let's be honest mm. Ludegaretz uh Lask who got spanked three 0 by Rapid at the weekend after losing five nil with over United last season at home um and Antwerp seriously, I mean if you don't win all of those games without trying, there's something awry. No. Let's be brutally honest. Spot on Given we talk about we're talking about one of the best teams in English football, with Gareth Bale and Harry Kane and Dele Alli and Son and Bergwijn and Mora as attacking options, I think we'll be all right. You know, <laughs> <and Vinicius. laughs> I if, hope so. We, you know, if we're not, then it's seriously wrong. Yeah. So that's into the into the knockout stage of that. So this this is the season where, without question, you would feel that if Spurs didn't go very close to, if not winning a trophy, it would feel an anti-climax already. Mm. doesn't mean it will happen. We know it doesn't mean it will happen. We've been close enough before, all those semis and finals that didn't quite happen. But you know that the players will look around that dressing room in the key matches, in the semi-finals, in the final, if they get there, look at that manager and think, he always finds a way to win. And this time, we've got him. I love it. So we will find a way to win.
1: Fantastic. And he's also
2: got in players who are winners. Gareth Bale wins finals. Yep. It's what he does. Spot on. Mm. Yeah. It, you know, it's a, it's a brilliant
1: sign just for that because Gareth Bale won't be scared of, of losing a League Cup final. He expect to win it on his own. I totally agree. I totally agree. And just to kind of finish up on that point, we've got a, a statement in here. This is from Matt Martin, who kind of echoes your thoughts, Martin. He says, after arguably our best ever transfer window, getting through four matches in eight days so successfully, can you please tell me something to bring me back down to earth? Because I'm actually starting to get a little bit carried away just thinking this team is going to win the lot. <laughs> i tell you what, Mike, Stop getting carried
2: away. God. I've got a horrible suspicion that Arsenal might be quite good this year. Oh, don't say that. I mean, but even if they're quite good, can't we be better, Martin? Can well, we can, go? but, I, you know, I've i I'd been dismissive of them for a while. I thought hmm. they were ordinary at best. I think they've bought very
3: Even well, with David Luiz well, in
2: the team. <laughs> yeah, because he, he's capable of, of being brilliant. He is. Yeah, I mean, true. I mean, he gets loads of stick. But let's be honest: if any of us could play football as well as David Louise, we'd be very, very wealthy men.
1: Very true. But that's not the way we want to end this show, Martin. So now you've got to give us a positive other, before you go. I, the other thing, of
2: course, is lads, it's Tottenham. You know, if oh. there's a way, <laughs> if
1: there's a way.
2: <laughs> Historically, we found it. Yeah. No, I, I just feel it's different. I really do. Yeah. I've yeah. Thought, I just watched the the performance, the conviction that they've shown in the last couple of weeks, and thought, mm. this is this is actually serious. Mm.
1: This is this is the real deal. It's so true. I mean, okay, I'm going to ask you one final question here, Martin, to end it on. This is from THFC Golden, who says, with the league looking pretty open right now, is there any chance Jose goes for them all? Or is Europa League the still main target in his mind? I mean, I feel, Martin, with the squad he's got there, he can compete on all four
2: fronts. Do you agree? You've got to. There's no point in playing to, to not win everything. You've yep. got to try. Look, he was willing to sacrifice the League Cup. Because, but only because of the most important game last week, actually, was Thursday night. Because that's the potential other route into the Champions League, the fallback route, if you can't get in the top four. However, they did beat Chelsea and he wants to win the League Cup because he thinks if you win one trophy, you win more trophies. He did it at Chelsea. The the most important trophy trophy he won at Chelsea was the first one, which was the League Cup against Liverpool in Cardiff because it told a team that never won players who'd never won that they were winners and it changed their mentality. And it will be the same at Tottenham. If with this squad they win the League Cup, they don't just stop at the League Cup like Ramos's team did. They see that as the launch pad. Because
1: they know that they've crossed the last bridge. I think what I've always said on this show, Martin, isn't it? It's about if once you win that first one, once you taste that success once, you want more. And I've always felt with this Spurs team, this Spurs squad, regardless of whoever the manager was, that once they got that first trophy, there's no doubt there'll be more to come. And fingers crossed, Jose Mourinho is the man to bring that success to Tottenham. It's been an incredible 12 months. From where we had you on last, Martin, to now, just this football club is changing, it's growing, it's evolving. I mean, it's just an absolute crazy time to be a Spurs fan. Let me just firstly thank the wonderful Jamie from the Daily Hotspur, our transfer guru, who's been keeping us busy, updating us with the transfers. Jay, we're at an end for the next couple of months. Mate, you can take a break. You can put your feet
3: up. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it was, what a transfer window Spurs have had. And, um, yeah, just on this show, I mean, it was, that was really interesting to hear from Martin, kind of his take on on it all. And, uh, yeah, really, really good show. And uh, I really enjoyed that one.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Martin, we can't thank you enough for coming on. And just to kind of finish it, Martin, big expectation, big things to come, right?
2: Oh, I hope so, yeah. No <laughs> reason why not. This could be something special, no doubt about it.
1: And I can't wait to see Gareth Bale,
2: oh. Harry Kane and Son... In, my fun, in the front three. Can you imagine how exciting that's going to be?
1: Martin, Obviously, I West Ham, to not get you know carried what? away. <laughs> Even the images, Martin, of him in training, Gareth Bale, I still think it's been photoshopped. I can't quite believe it. Can you? Is it sunk in yet for you yet? It's brilliant. It's
2: great. Look, also, he's a really good lad. I've, um, Because he comes from a great family, actually, his, his parents are fantastic people. Bless and him. they've instilled in him great values. And he's always had them because of them. He's He's a diamond... Player and a diamond bloke actually, I really like him. I'm delighted he's back.
1: Oh, listen, lovely Martin. Again, thank you ever so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. And of course, as I mentioned at the start of the show, you can still buy the White Hart Lane, the Spurs Glory is Martin's book of Spurs. It's timeless. It's a great, great Christmas present, which is coming very, very soon Christmas time. Go and get yourselves a copy of that, Martin. Thank you ever so much for joining us here on the Last Word on Spurs. Always a pleasure having you on. My pleasure indeed. Take care, boys. Have fun.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.